Uh, good morning all and thank you for being here again and for my guests out here and outdoors. Sometimes we're in here and it's squeezed in my little lounge and it's not so good but it's great to have you all here. Um, we're going to have communion because it's been a while since we've broken bread and, and have had that time together. Um, so we're going to do it today and, um, and if you can do it at home, if you haven't been prepared well, you might be able to quickly get away, get something in a glass and a piece of bread, no butter on it, okay, and then um, we're going to participate and see what that means to us. So for here, they'll give it to you and you can take it if you're a Christian. Um, if you're not yet, you shouldn't really take it because there are strict understandings that when you take this, you've got to be aware of what you're doing. And we'd rather you understand that when you drink and eat, it has to do with us remembering Christ and his death of course for our sin and he died for our lives to be free and also the resurrection that brought about new life as well. So um, I'm going to pray as it goes out. You can keep your eyes open if you like so you can get it. But Father we pray today. We ask in the name of Jesus to bless this time together. We're going to celebrate first of all um, in participating in the wonderful thing called communion where we will remember your death. I don't ever want to have forgetfulness to what Christ did for me. You know, I, I can only do, and some of the things that I've done and you've done, we can only do because of what Jesus has done for us. And so today, we truly will take a moment or two to remember as we eat and drink um, that you would bless those who participate. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Alrighty, so as you get that, hold it. And um, you know, one thing about the big church that we're missing, I always remember when um, the church was like this, it was the uh, communion, um, you get the bread and the glass, we found that it was always, the bread stayed in a nice shape, square, but as the church got bigger, it took longer to pass out all the emblems, it ended up in a little ball, you know, <laughs> people make a little dough ball, because <laughs> they're waiting and waiting and waiting because of the size, you know, and at the end of the day, it's ended up like a donut. So um, I think here it's not too bad because we'll have it to you in a moment and then we'll be able to participate. And while they're doing that, so I can get straight into it, I'll preview. This is part three of a series that I haven't touched on for a long time from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm probably for, foremost known for what I'm speaking about in this particular passage of scripture because it is a foreign teaching to a lot of churches today. Um, I have been in the faith for 40 plus years, um, walking with the Spirit, um, being a student of the Word, always learning, still learning now. But what I've discovered, um, is particularly after this pandemic, this COVID uh, period, that one of the things that was on, on the, if you like, the, the board for testing and examination, investigating, was the church. It was each individual's Christian life, you know, and our reaction to maybe trial, trouble, our reaction to, um, I guess, a, a, a disruption like we have experienced. Your faith will be touched to the depth, and you can only live and walk and talk as good as you've got inside, what you believe, what you believe is what you will receive, kind of, you know what I mean? I found that um, a lot of things that surprised me about the modern day church, um, also the established religions, the established church, um, organized religion, and so it brought a lot of things, and I, I'm, I've been bringing these things <coughs> to you, and I'll do um, uh, number three today, so I'm saying that, so you might have to, if you want to catch up with part one and two, it's worth it, but Nevertheless, you'll, this will be all right in itself. So, thank you. You want to stand for a little bit for this? Because, yeah, it's good. Here, at home. You. So today, we're going to take and participate together. And as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, that the bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus. Essentially, it typifies the victorious life that Christ lived. So as I eat this in faith, it is not actually the body, it resembles it. And when I eat that in faith, 
I am also participating and rejoicing and celebrating in the victory he secured for me and you. So here is the victory of our Lord Jesus' body for our life. Let's eat together. Same time he took the cup with the juice and he said, this is my blood that was given for you. So this is for the remission of sin and the blood that clears our mind and our conscience from all of the accusations that could be thrown at us in our head and the guilt that's been removed. The blood does that. Oh, the blood of Jesus this morning. I'm so glad the blood covers, protects and allows me to have access through the Spirit in the heavens right directly to Christ himself. So here's the blood. Let's drink together. The blood of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we just give a little clap for the Lord. Amen. Right here, you can have a seat. As I said, I've been, been talking about this particular topic. So if you're new, you're new today, welcome. I know a lot of people jump online to hear on uh, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Welcome. If you are from another church, you're welcome also, um, for whatever reason you're on. But some of these things that I'm talking about today, particularly to those groups, because a lot of uh, my members, regular, have some idea of this, and we've been living and walking in it. So I'm going to go through, and I've touched parts of it already, and I'll read it to you. Then we'll start our way to this. Um, but um, basically, uh, the title was, Have You Been Begotten? Right? So we'll, we'll, just, we'll start and we'll read. So, so I'll read from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 14. And this is the Apostle Paul. Verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my sons, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Wow. Okay. So one of the things we found, just quickly coming back and recovering some of the things that I I talked about last week. In here is a passage of scripture that I think gives a very, um, you know, laser beam focus on exactly what a church should be. How how are relationships uh, built in the church? Spiritual relationships, not just with God but with each other. Yes. Very important. So one of the things that I brought up was a scripture from one Corinthians twelve twenty eight. And I, I want to do this because it's very important to understand, have this in the back of your mind as I just start to uh, preach about this. One of the things 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, that God appointed these in the church. That's what it starts with. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God appointed these in the church. Right? God, not man. So now we're probably going to... I'll put you right there. Is, this, is, the, is the church that I know or the experience or I go to even now. Is it a church that man built or is it a church that God built? Yes, good. good question. A lot of you that are listening and probably don't believe in Christianity, you're just having a listen because you might want to hate on me on the roll, I don't know. But I want to tell you, you know what? Maybe, maybe you had a brush with religion that put you off. Maybe you went to a church and somebody did something or said something. Maybe the church did not live up to what somebody else told you, a family friend or a member, whatever. Well, sometimes that reason there is why I'm talking about this here and now. Unfortunately, a church can start well and have even mean well. But really, at the end of the day, it's got to be done uh, perfectly in order, biblically. There's an order that God's given. And that's my, um, my question to you. This is the church that you're going to built by a man or by God. So how do you know? I can give it to you in one line without going through the whole scripture. It says, now God has appointed these in the church. So therefore, God is saying, this is the church I built. 
he goes first so he actually goes numerically through numbers when I see first second and third and fourth third is not first <laughs> neither is second first or you take number five and want to shift it up to one God is a God of order and so he says first apostles right second prophets thirdly teachers and I think next fourth on the list was miracles Oh, hey, you know, miracles is probably what I need more than a prophet, uh, yeah. Brian. And apostles, I don't even believe. I only believe that the 12. Yeah. And after that, it was all kaput. Yeah. You know, um, people have all sorts of reasons. I mean, we are living in a pastor-dominated church world. Yeah. Um, and no um, uh, sort of criticism to pastors, but they don't appear actually in the list anywhere. It gets down to helps ministry. That's what Christians like a lot, the helps one. It gets, and it's good, and it gets to where we talk about, um, you know, the body working together, and they are more favorable gifts. But why is it that the church has had trouble with apostles and prophets, particularly when they're one and two? I want to focus on when God appoints a church, he says, first, uh, apostles. And there is a reason why he has an order. He doesn't just throw them out because, oh, apostles are kind of, you know, the 12 I had and I think in memory of them, I'll put them there. He doesn't. This is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and all that in the Ephesians, ascension ministries were given to make sure that the church was built right. So if you have number one wrong, two, three, four, and five, and six are going to be hard to get right. So if you're going for your miracle, which is number four, <laughs> well, you're preaching now. One, two, and three should be right. So one of the things that I was uh, blessed with earlier in my Christian walk is that I was very interested in, in actually reading the Bible and believing it. <laughs> and what I read sometimes, literally, I believed, unless there was another way of interpreting the exegesis of it. Um, the hermeneutics, which is the interpretation, was very important as well. But nothing compares with having revelation of a rhema, a quickened, a spiritual insight of light to a written word on paper. And so you've got to remember that now when the apostles were called by Jesus, the first 12, they were just men picked from ordinary parts of life. But Jesus knew when he was choosing them, they had something about them that God knows. And usually what God chooses, probably most men wouldn't choose. I wouldn't have been the first choice at all for my position here, if for any position, right? But God decides at the end of the day who's going to be where, particularly when it comes to ministries that have a big influence in the body of Christ. And so he chose Peter, John, James, and away we go. He chose these guys that probably we wouldn't have chosen either. Why would Jesus choose the foundations of the church itself being the the largest change agent in history of mankind. In fact, it was the Christian church that put to sleep the Roman Empire. When you think about it, that's a big choice. So wouldn't you go for a theologian, um, a learned man, or one that you like that speaks well and has got everything put together and has got everything right about them, him or her? Wouldn't you go for somebody that's, say, a part of the establishment, like the Pharisees or the Sadducees? And um, other sects who were trained and they knew the scriptures, they read the Torah day and night and they wailed and, and, and cried out. Every time that they come across, you know, um, Jehovah's name, they would stop and cry. Very dedicated. But Jesus didn't pick any of them. He didn't select any of the ones that you and I would think. How man thinks. God chose Peter. Loud mouth large fisherman that was cussing and <laughs> about his fishing business not going too well. He was a strong-headed, dominant sort of a character and one that didn't attend the crusades of Jesus around the other side of the lake. He was busy thinking about making money with his fishing business, edging his brothers on to get to work and, and let's get more and whatever. He'd look over there and wonder what they gathered around, but he wasn't even in the picture. But Jesus chose him. I want to tell you right now, Everybody hearing me, you think that God doesn't see you. You think that, you know, he's passed me over and somebody else is more qualified than me. 
I can't speak and I'm not that sort of person that likes standing up. That's not about why God would choose you. He sees beyond what you see as, as disadvantages and failings. You think that you're stuck there for life, but God sees your heart. And I want to tell you right now, do not underestimate the fact is that God has better for you. He wants to lift you out of your chair. He wants to take you from where you are stuck in life. Sometimes people are stuck in employment, stuck in business, stuck at home, stuck in a town. Never moved and shifted out of there in your 80 years. <laughs> you know, you can't underestimate it. So Jesus says to Peter, come follow me. Beautiful. He busts in and puts the man, listens and hears this guy and doesn't know him. He hasn't done a background check. Heard a little bit about him like most people do. But um, the man spoke with something in his spirit. Something came out and touched Peter strong enough, powerful enough to put his business on hold for three and a half years as he followed this man. So here we are. We're talking about apostles. What is an apostle? It's interesting when he says the apostles were called to be the, the actual cornerstone and the architects of the church. So Paul now is the 13th apostle. There was Apollos. In fact, there's 27 apostles named in scriptures. I have Christians say to me, no, they're all dead, Brian. You, you can't be one and neither there's those ones and all this sort of stuff. Well, they don't read the Bible very well, do they? And um, probably not their fault, they're part-timing. And um, uh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe, maybe they are in a church that hasn't capably taught well yeah. and is not led well, is not constructed well. And I say this with all due respect to every Christian, but you being in a wrong place will never make you a right person. Yeah. You know, um, sentiments aside that, you know, I grew up as a, as a Methodist and I did. My mum was a Methodist and I grew up in this denomination. But that doesn't mean to say that where you are is correct. <laughs> I'm being nice because there are some churches that have made decisions about moral issues that defy belief um, and they're ordaining what God said needs to repent. <laughs> um, you'll find that churches sometimes have the mentality that we're here to just do good works but nobody knows about how to change society, how to get involved in the workplace, how to have a go at politics when it's ruining everybody's life, how we live with, for our children and our family and our household. Unless there is a place where it has order, you're going to end up with disorder. And I think that's a lot of that in the world today. So, you know, I say that nicely because Paul starts and he says, my sons, verse 14, he says, to you, my sons, he doesn't use the word Christians. You know, for the life of me, I cannot understand why people cannot see in the New Testament it is just filled with sons and it talks about a spiritual father or apostles. The Acts of Apostles, right through to the Revelation, is all about the work of the church and the apostles and others that are involved in it as well. But you see here he talks about sons. If he's talking about sons, he must be talking about God, the Father. Father, God, which was a, a revolutionary change before his resurrection or his death and resurrection. God was more God. A lot of people know God as God, but don't know God as Father. <laughs> it's true. And I know a lot of Christians today who relate to God but can't relate or understand his fatherness to us, you know. And it's very important because. Jesus dynamically changed the whole Christian picture from the Old Testament, transitioned. He brought in fatherhood very powerfully. The Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. He's beginning already to change the dynamic of relationship between us as humans to a God before Christ reveals the fullness of him, which was a distant God, a God that was around me, a God that is beside me. Sounds nice. A God that's with me. Yeah. This is good. Most of us still go like that. I hope God's with me. Yeah. Um, or God is around me and he'll, be, he'll come and he will deliver us. He will help us. And you look skyward usually. <laughs> that dynamic changed. And you took communion. <laughs> it's about now when Paul the Apostle again, 
had the greatest mystery. He carried for generations and he carried for, for ages, it says, in Colossians. But now it's been revealed. What? Christ in you. Wow. Now here we go. Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. So he's taken the whole dynamic of an Old Testament God into the covenant and a spiritual one, a blood one, where now Christ is in me. So really looking to the sky is great. There is God up there. He is. So is Christ. But he's in me. And sometimes we're so often living from out externals where internally all you need is there to foster the Christ in us. And I love this about the apostle. He's talking about a strong relationship with his church. And I want to just go straight down the bottom there again and I'll come through where I want to go. He says... He will go, Timothy, his faithful son, wasn't his biological son. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. So when Paul has called him a faithful son, a lot of people probably think, oh, Paul had a his son. Is, is Timothy. No, that's not his biological son. It's his spiritual son. And you'll see that 1 and 2 Timothy is an address of the Bible, the books, to a spiritual son. The book of Titus, Titus was called a true son, but it wasn't Paul's biological son. So if we're getting this here now, Paul is opening up something very important. He says, this son of mine that I'm sending to you, Timothy, when you get him, I'm not going physically, I'm not going um, geographically, I'm not moving from here for, I think he might have been locked up in jail. He says, but I'm sending Timothy, who when you receive him, is not, you're not going to get Timothy, you're going to get me, yeah. right? Because Paul's saying, he will remind you of my ways in Christ. Yeah. So, this, I'll get down to it because this is where people have their trouble. He's saying, Timothy is not giving you his opinions. Yeah. No. He won't be given anything of his ways because a true son has emptied himself and he's taken on the whole spirit and ways, customs, traditions of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. They've been transplanted in Timothy so now Timothy becomes a multiplied Paul. Right? And so now he can safely send this man to represent him accurately. Well, that's how Jesus came, representing the Father accurately as a son. It's a principle. But the church stopped at Jesus and think it stopped, everything stopped there when it stopped back in 2,000 years ago. It's a principle, spiritual principle. And when I was locked up, I had sons working for me. Faithfully carrying on the work that I started. So when they thought they tied me up, bound me up and silenced my mouth, they didn't realize the rest of these boys around the country were all spiritual sons. So when they opened their mouth, someone said, oh, he sounds like Brian Tamaki. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to show you something because that's true. But let's just read here. He says, in all churches everywhere in every church. He didn't say my churches. He said every church. This is about... 60-odd, maybe 70-odd, 80 years after when Paul was converted from when Christ was resurrected and ascended, he was now planting churches. The first church, the Jerusalem church, the original church, which, which was called The Way. It wasn't called Christians. Christians came from out of heathens' mouths to describe us, right? So Christians just was a way where the world described these people, but they were called The Way. And the early Pharisees and the established Christians of the day called them a cult, right? Because the apostles were moving into the colonnade, the uh, Solomon's colonnade, and they had their church services. These guys, apostles, would preach, and then the rest of the church, thousands by this time, would go into small groups and they'd have the apostles' doctrine, right? Prayer and breaking of bread and the apostles' doctrine. So they didn't have a Bible, right? There's, this was not in existence. The Bible came out of their mouths speaking. So what I'm doing is probably is, is more authentic than somebody that's stuck on a book rather than believing, you know, the words of revelation. So you had people following the apostles and they were writing, taking down scribes. They were good media. Right? And they were writing down what Peter was saying and what James was saying. And then, oh, here comes the apostle Paul. He came later. The bolt of light. He was murdering Christians. Don't you ever think that you're not good enough? Yeah. Paul, the apostle I'm talking about, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament 
was a murderer. He was killing Christians and he loved it. He was a Pharisee, he was zealous, he was brought up in the best universities under the feet of Professor Gamaliel, who taught him all of the things of the Torah and the law of Moses. He was no slug, he was smart. Paul was intelligent. He knew the word inside out. And for passion, as a Jew, he was passionate for the, for the ways and what he had. But he was on the wrong path. He was doing something that he thought was right, but was wrong. And you can be right and doing right things that you think at the time, but in, but in a wrong place, in a wrong way, you know. It can happen like that. So he was doing this, and, and then he finds himself now converted by something that just comes straight out of heaven, yeah. a bolt of light. Yes. It's still great when you hear somebody get converted and they didn't have it through rights and regulations and religion. They just got hit from behind while I was having a beer. I was fishing out with some mates and I just felt this guy, he just touched my life. Beautiful conversions. I heard you on TV and um, my mother talked to me one day or prayed for me. One day you just get the light switches on. And after all your bad ways, you want to now go good. You want to say, I want to go to church. Or, I, want to, I want to go somewhere. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's the transformation that is beyond intelligence and reason. And it's a beautiful thing. And Paul had that. So even those early apostles had a, a little bit of difficulty with him. Even Peter says, and, and Paul, his writings are hard to get your head around, but nevertheless, they are and speak with the scriptures. So he authenticated Paul's apostleship. Now, when he was talking about this, he was, he was beginning the foundations of the church. So in other words, every church. It wasn't Paul's church. So, so what is the dynamic of a church and how do I know it's good? It's got to have an apostle over it. It wasn't just a selected preference because Paul was an apostle, so he was over his churches. That was the church. The Jerusalem church was the first church, had apostles over it. Then when Paul came along and the apostles moved, they sent out also the table. You know, Philip and Stephen, there were ministries that were going, but they had apostolic um, anointing on them. They laid hands on them. Then they sent them. So you see that apostles were having a big influence on how the church could stay stable and how you could multiply what God wanted always. It wasn't just one son. He wants many, myriads, multitudes. And so the plan was the apostles had to be first because I want to just go through this quickly now. A couple of points for you. Because if you understand this, he says here, that every church must have an apostle. So what if my pastor is a pastor? Well, he might be named a pastor. It could be just a naming problem. Some pastors are apostles. They do grow churches, but there are a lot of, not a lot of apostles. Apostles oversee many churches. I think Paul planted about 15 to 20 churches, they say, not counting all the ones from Ephesus, say, that multiplied. And he had some in house churches, but he was, generally speaking, that they were all fathered. Yes. So pastors, evangelists, prophets, teachers, Christians, reverends, bishops, priests, I don't even go on. None of them, unless they are clearly defined, should ever be over a church unless it's an apostle. Now an apostle qualifies in the fact is that he has the ability to plant churches. He will plant a number of churches. He will be over those churches. And those churches are a multiplication of him. He has an unusual ability to have revelation of the word. That's very important. So when apostles speak, it's a different speaker. And I'll explain that in a moment. So those things are important. Plus they move with insight that releases the many ministries in the church. It has that ability in its anointing. So I'm not an apostle in the sense when Brian is Brian, as Hannah says, that's Brian Tamaki speaking. <laughs> Give me a break, I am human. <laughs> but when the apostle, she knows when that is working, because those essential ministries, you're born with them. I didn't pray and say, any, many, mighty, mo. I'll have that one, because it's glorious. Please don't be an apostle, because Paul said we're the scum of the earth, and we are, nobody likes us, and we're hated. I read that. <laughs> I said, oh, gosh, you know. Um, but 
there is a, a rich tapestry of spiritual resource and power in the apostles' anointing and their mantle. Really, it's not for me, it's for you. When you know how what you get from it, you forget about Brian that's carrying it. I just happen to have it because I've got to make you come to a, a point. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm blessing you. What about my mate Billy and my cousin Silly? No, 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 no. I'm not anointing them. I'm anointing you. So I put the blessing on you. So then they have to come to you because in you, he said, all of the family, all of your cousins, and all the earth shall be blessed. So people don't realize that. Of course you're personally blessed. But there are people who are given a blessing that is for you. Don't criticize and say, who the hell you think you are? You know, you don't get it. Get up there and be nice and extract by believing and respecting. See, that doesn't flow to disrespect or dishonor or unbelief. So someone can be sitting there going like, gee, I wish you'd finish. He gets nothing. Yeah. Meantime, the sister next to them goes out and gets blessed tomorrow, yeah. finds a new job, yes. comes across somebody, meets them, gets married to the beautiful person, just goes on like that. Nobody would credit that to the fact is that she just blessed something that was bigger, yes. that the greater blesses the lesser. Yes. And we're not about that. I'm not about thing, you know, whatever. But the richness of this is that the whole movement of 20 churches was covered by that father. And God gave him the ability as a speaker, as a teacher, but he always says in his letters, I, apostle, I Paul, an apostle called of Jesus Christ, to my faithful son Timothy, away he goes. And what he's got is that when Paul speaks in his ministry, he's begetting. So he uses the word here, um, I have begotten you. What an interesting word that you can just go over and leave. And I looked at this and many times I've looked at it. You can have a whole lot of instructors. Go and get a tape. Listen to Benny Hunt and um, whoever else is your fave. Um, get tapes and that. That's okay. Read books and... You know, have a whole lot of preachers. and I mean, in marriage, we usually say you should have one wife and one husband. You know, and you get kind of mad if she's kissing somebody else, you know. But in church, we can all whore around and have a whole lot of preachers. Sorry, using the word. And we can go and, you know, sleep in bed with different religions and different beliefs and, you know, don't tithe but do this. And, and it, somehow it's okay in the church, but... Everywhere else, you go go work for your firm, and they got a CEO, they got a um, head chief officer, principal at school, teacher. You everywhere you go, there is order, and somebody who's running it. You can't just walk up and say, oh, no, you know, I don't want to follow your orders in the bank. They sack you. And that's what we should do in the church: sack a lot of people. They're in positions they shouldn't be in. So. He's saying, I've begotten you. When he speaks, he has the ability to beget as he's speaking. That's how I discovered it in my life. I didn't actually know what I was. I've stumbled into it, you know. I just got saved and thank you, Lord, I'm not drinking anymore and hurting people. Um, but oh no, you know, you've got a, a whole call ahead of your life. And I said, oh good. And I said to my wife, we're we going to go to India. I did, to be a missionary. And I went away to Bible college, sold up all I had, got the, got the fee at that time, and I'm talking about the early 80s. Um, it cost a few thousand dollars, and that in the 80s is a lot of money to a young man who worked all his life, saved, so I could go to Bible college, so I could learn more about God, because I knew I had something to do. Yeah. My pastor at that time, God bless him, tried to dissuade me. And I understand, he said, what are you going to Bible college for, Brian? I said, I have to. He said, you've got a good job. Stay there. You know, you go away. We, there's no guarantee. 12 months away, full time. And then I committed myself to correspondence for a number of years. But I said, no, I've got to go. Um, you know, I have to go because I want to know more about God and make sure that I've got everything I can because I think I'm going to be a missionary <laughs> to India. I thought, how crazy I was. <laughs> God bless India. But... <laughs> But I, I was just ready to do, you know, I, you, suddenly you see that what used to once stimulate you doesn't anymore. And now you find your passions and your direction changing. And you know when you're doing something and you, you've lost what was formerly a fire. 
you know, you, when you're doing God things as a priority, you, you know you were good. But suddenly you slipped, you know, the pandemic, Brian. We haven't had church and I've just, yeah, the embers have really just about smoldered themselves out. You used to be a raging fire, you know. And that's the thing about what we're saying. Sometimes somebody comes along and just throws a little bit of fuel on it and it causes that fire to start again. Paul spoke with that type of begetting in there. And I looked up that word begetting. I've begotten you. What is he saying? I've begotten you. Hasn't it, you know, God, we're his sons? Well, here he says, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, imitate me. This is hard to gut the tape to the gut for the, the Christians. This is what they have problem with. A lot of pastors I've talked to, ministers, have often sat down with me and trying to get around how my movement moves in unity and how we seem to have the same kind of characteristics and we have a way about us. You know? And that's what I'm talking about. When you say I'm a son of God, that's very spiritual. But being a son of an apostle helps the son of God function in everyday life. Because it's a spiritual light. I'm a son of God. And we all say that most Christians will nod, even ones out there. But the moment I said a son of apostle, you went, oh, I don't follow man. Well, you do because Jesus was a man too. So, so what happens here? He's saying you can be a son of God, but you can be spiritually, um, I guess, right, but earthly no good. Because how do I practicalize the whole aspect of being a son? How do I express that? And, and, and what do I do? Do I just do it secretly? No, 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 no. He says, the apostle comes and says, I have begotten you. So the word begotten is an interesting word, and I'll just do this very quickly. The word begotten comes from a Greek word called genao. 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 That's what it is. Genao. So it comes from the root word gene. All right? So just hang with me for a moment. So genao basically means the, it means to have a father that is able to um, regenerate, a father who regenerates. That's the actual essence of the, of the meaning of it. So he's ta it's talking about fathering. It's talking about that you should never be in a church without a spiritual father. Yes. You should be not doing your Christianity by you saying, that's my spiritual father. People say, oh, you shouldn't be saying that because God's your father only. Well, that's funny. <laughs> then I must be reading a Bible that you don't have. Yes. Because Paul is saying you have a whole lot of teachers and all sorts of mentors and instructors, but you've got to have a father. Oh, yeah, I love it too. Spiritual father. So he says, I've begotten you. Be begetting means you're fathered. So even though you're a competent Christian, you still need a spiritual father. Yes, because the expression of the kind and the time, as James says, the first fruits of a kind, James chapter 1 verse 18, the first fruits of a creature, he's talking about now the transformation process that takes place inside you that now is never usually completed or done because it takes a father to raise, to nurture, and to give his children, you know, that's why we have parents, teaches you, they raise them. But listen to this, that begotting is, is talking about fathering, and the other thing was that, that regeneration, regenerating. That was a strong word in the meaning of the Greek. The Greek for the regeneration was very difficult to prize back away from the fathering, because the fathering is a regenerating ministry. To regenerate means to actually... Um, enhance something that's already there but can't go any further than its own strength or it can no longer make improvements to itself it's not kind of stuck but it can be so there's a lot of Christians and it ain't your fault who get so far and then you just kind of level out and you just wait till you get there and you you try your best you sing you worship you love God but you know there's a lot more to you there's a lot more about you. There is there's so much more ahead of you that you don't actually see it because it takes a spiritual father 
to unlock the potential in his sons. Isn't that beautiful? His sons. So those sons of the apostle are actually a complement to sons of God. Because in the day, Jesus, when he raised his apostles and the apostles, they had a certain characteristics about them that fit the Jewish culture. They, Paul had characteristics that fit the Gentile, the non-Jewish culture. So they were highly affected by their background and their past came into play, but also the qualities that God puts in them. So I want you to just get a hold of this about regeneration. That means it's taking what you have now and actually improving it and making it better so that you really find the other you yes. that only a father can actually get out of you. Yes. And what's the regeneration? What, how does this happen? How did he, how, what, what, what's my response? What's your response, say, to a spiritual father at a distance? Well, it's by the word. So he's saying, but I've re begotten you through the gospel. Ooh. Can I, can I say some things here? So he's talking about regenerating. So he, and he says in here about the begetting, you have to understand that regen, the, the, the regeneration, it comes from the word, the regen, regen you, regenerate. A generator is a power station. Um, I'll show you some things in a minute. What is in this? What is in this apostolic mantle that you happen to be with right now and you're hearing? Right, so it has the power by a word spoken. So Matthew thirteen thirty-eight, Jesus spends times talking to the people about the seed being sown by the sower. Some fell on a rock, and some fell on dry places. Others fell on good soil, produced thirty, sixty, hundred. The seed. Then he went on to talk about the kingdom has been like a mustard seed, small when it begins, but later on it takes over everything in the garden. That's why when you've got the seed in you, these characteristics in your, the apostle that has those, those characteristics in it that need to be imparted to people who don't have that. Right? And it's for a time. So I'm alive for a time as an apostle, a spiritual father. I'll do three generations. Good. Gen, generations. Right? Gen. So I'll be about three good. And raise fathers, and then I'll raise others who will pass it on, Timothy. So what they get from Paul, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, which you hear and see of me, he said, pass on to other men. Then they will pass it on so the, to others. You see that? That's the scripture. So Paul is saying, when you've got me right, right, what you've seen and heard of me, pass on. So he's not saying you guys have the ability to actually adjust people's genetic coding and the makeup and the expression or the ways. Paul says, my ways in all churches. Right. Right. And he says, legitimately, so, and I'm talking Hebrews now, because Hebrews 12, said as God does with his sons, he, he disciplines, he corrects and he corrects, but you are not bastards, sorry, Christian bastards. Um, that's in 12, right? That's the King James Version. Look at you all. I didn't swear. Bastard. What is a bastard? Illegitimate. It means a, a child without a father. But God is saying you are not bastards in the King James Version. So, man, there's a lot of bastards around. Anyway, sort of. <laughs> so I tell you right now, wow, yeah, look at it. What I'm saying is true. So he said, you aren't fatherless. And fatherlessness is the problem and yes. why we have so much waywardness, so many factions and schisms and splits because everybody thinks they know best. Yes, right. Everybody's got this path, that path. Everybody thinks this and that about, you know, kingdom, about giving, about church, about authority. Yeah. And, and then you get a mess. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul is clear. He says, no, no, no. I have been, I have been well resourced. As a father, by God, before time, I came into this, and then I have the resource for a season or a time to be able to influence and affect two to three generations at least of how they should walk, talk, and live. Wow. Yeah. So the regeneration is now him 
as he speaks the word, the gospel, there's a begetting. Yes. So the begetting is he is bringing into existence something you didn't have before yes. in your life. Yes. It's sitting there, but it needs the touch of a father. Yes. Then it needs regenerating. <laughs> That's why he says in, in Philippians 3, verse 17 and 18, you have us as a pattern. That's what Paul said. He's saying to the Philippian church. Now he had some of his, his team with him. He says, you have us as a pattern. He said, follow me, he says. Wow. You thought that just you should follow Jesus. No, Paul's saying, follow me. And, and, and he's, I'm saying that sort of independent because the word he says there after he begets him is imitate me. Can you get all this? I'm going quick. He says, imitate me, mimic me. So really, I'm not interested in that you should know what the apostle knows, but what you should do is have me and you. Yes. Right? Got to put a plane. Yeah. So having me and you, getting what I am in you, is paramount for your life to succeed as a Christian. Now you know why the devil fights it. Yeah. Now you know why people get in arms about it. They fight the apostle. They fight the apostolic gift. They fight what God has put first. And there are Christians and people now are hating on me. My scroll will be full of it. But my fruit speaks louder than your hate. And what happens is now you get people who go and they'll say, she, I, you're one of Brian Tamaki's guys, aren't you? Because they can see it. And it's usually a trait like giving, yeah. helping. You know, it's amazing that they, they see the difference mm. in the crowd. Yeah. That's the destiny thing. Yeah. Now, I suspect that when people can't discern that as Christians, demons do. Yeah. Paul I know and Jesus I know. Yeah. So demons, where demons are doing the most kerfuffle, that's probably where, yeah. where it is. That's right. Wherever Jesus was, demons are coming yeah. out. And they even said to him, go away after he cast the demons out, out of them, Jesus. You know, he cast demons out of people. Then they'd say, go away now, you know. You see what it is? He's got it, but they don't want it. It's like people love the teaching. Some people say, um, you know, be kind to people. Well, we heard that, you know. <laughs> Does she know that comes from Jesus? Businesses, you know. What you sow, what we put into, we're going to get back. Yeah. Did they know that come from Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. You know, people will use the example, the big, you know, the little David in the business world taking on Goliath. Did they know that's come from Jesus? Yeah. You know? When people say, well, you know, I want to do the best, I want to prosper. Did they know that comes from Jesus? Yeah. See, people want, they want the, the benefits. Yeah. They want the, the fruit of it. But I don't want him. Yeah. Oh. I love those words. I love what they do. I love what they got, but I don't like Brian Tamaki. I don't like, you know, Alex. He just, he's, I love his singing, but he's attached to that Brian Tamaki. And, you know, look at them. They think they're cool. They think they're great. And he stands there and thinks nobody hates them. They're confident. When David killed Goliath, he wasted him, remember? He killed him. And against all odds, and even his brother said, what are you doing here, you little rascal? I know you, he said, your arrogance and your pride. Oh, oh, wait a moment. Because I, I'm loving my life and because I'm doing well in life and I came down to bring you some cheeseburgers, but I'm hearing this monster put us down and you guys are chickens. So he said, no, 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 isn't there not a cause? Don't you love the guy? See, he's got something. So he strides on through and he's asking about the rewards. What does the man get for killing this? They must have looked at this little guy. That, that damn cheek. Who does he think he is? He's a shepherd boy. He's nobody. They said money, the girl, and no taxes. Well, I'd fight too, even if I were. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with these guys, but you see what happens? But then what happens? He goes out there and he said, he prophesies, he speaks, he's always speaking. It is written, he's spoken, therefore... You know, we believe and we speak. And with the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. And David goes around speaking and saying, see that big ugly giant out there? I'm going to put a stone right between his ugly eyes. And that guy's going to fall on the ground and drop him. And then I'm going to kill him with his own sword. So he was already, he had already played it out strongly. Now, not many New Zealanders like that culture. New Zealanders are kind of like a, they think they're sort of quiet, kind of, you know, humble people. 
um, are people who would rather be quite sit back and don't say too much. And if anybody stands up, whoosh, comes the, the swords to cut them down and don't you leave us. Don't try and be better than us. Don't try having a good car and a nice house and do it legitimately. Don't try and think that you can get away from us and be better. Boy, when you start succeeding, you watch jealousy jump up. And it could come from close as your brothers and your sisters and the people that you thought would be happy to see you succeed. No, it doesn't. Sometimes to succeed takes great courage to push beyond the criticisms and people who have limited you and bound you up. That's why you've got to be careful of the little wee subgroups and your associates you've got. If those associates are negative, give them time out. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Find people who will lift you up, yes. encourage you, yes. make you think big, yeah. pull you up to a level and a size that you deserve to be on. Yes. So David did it, and he gets the giant's head, and he's holding it. Not many people read the end of the story, but he's holding the head. Yeah. It's dripping with blood, eyes bugged out. <laughs> and he, you know, he's like, here's my fruit. I killed it. Yeah. You guys <laughs> didn't believe. And he carried that head to his tent in the end. But let me tell you, he does this. Saul comes and he asks one of his crack warriors, SAS, like those police. And the thing, he asks, Abner was his name, he says, Whose son is this? Who? Who's his daddy? I want to know who his daddy is. Because look at how he strutted in here. Look how he spoke. Look, look at the characteristics of the guy. None of us had this. And I am the spiritual father of this army, Saul said. There you go. He was the leader. He was the influence. So what he imparted to these soldiers wasn't good enough to stand up when it counted. So straight away, he wanted to know, who is this man's father? Abner says, I don't know who his dad is because you're our dad and we're doing useless, you know. <laughs> then he found out who his father was. You see the traits? It was known that the traits that one displays and presents is indicative of who your father is. Yes. That's why people know who my God is. Yeah. There's no doubt about it in every part of New Zealand. Yeah. They know Brian Tamaki believes Jesus Christ. Yeah. He stands for Christ. He thinks everything should have Christ in it. Yes. He thinks Christ is, is the answer to our political problems, to our social problems, to our, our parenting problems, to our marriages, to our homes, to our children, to our grandchildren, to our money problems, to our whatever problems you've got, Christ is the answer. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I, I present that strongly. Yeah. Who is his father? Yeah. Who's your daddy? Yeah. So, so if you're, you're representing your daddy well, you'll be seen well. What I like about this, and just bring it to is the gene. Paul has, you know, a gene, isn't it? A gene is a, um, it basically contains... All of the, the hereditary, it's the hereditary part. The hereditary things that you get from a gene is the uniqueness of you. It has all of the bits and pieces of how you're going to be, the ways and how you think in your life. So the gene is the actual existence of life. And I understand that when the genes, the genes are with the actual dad, they're with the father, not the mother. You'll see when Levi was, remember Levi was the priesthood that did the, took the tithes from the rest of the, and in Hebrews chapter 7, you'll see when Abraham met Melchizedek, the priest, and Abraham was rich, he got a whole tenth of his, he gave it. He said, Melchizedek, he said, I recognize a greater, so I tithe up to get spiritual blessings down on me. Wow, that's cool, eh? That's in Hebrews 7, New Testament. So he gives a 10% of the spoil to this priest, Melchizedek, who is a recognition of a spiritual heavy. He was greater. That's where you see it. So the greater blesses the lesser. It's not condescending. It's spiritual power and authority. Even the great Abraham bent his head down and gave him that and he blessed him. The Bible says that it is interesting that in Abraham's loins, loins are here, speaks of the reproduction, reproductive system. Levi was already in his loins as he tithed 400 years before the law. So what I'm saying is the Levitical priesthood 
in the future who would take the tithes was actually tithing. That's what the Bible says. But my point I want to extract from this is that the gene of what was coming was already in the father's loins. So so you you were in your dad before you even got to the womb of your mother. So so when you see the gene, the genealogy starts, Matthew starts with a genealogy. 400 years of silence from the Old Testament, New Testament starts and it says, what? He's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it gives it, son of Abraham, son of David, son of Abraham. So it's doing, it's, it's saying how important that the genes that are transmitted from one generation to the next has hereditary factors in it. And they go to make up, so you have, there's about 25 to uh, 30,000 genes. You have one of each, two. You have your, the mother, the father. But the father has the deciding genes about what you're going to get. Even the medical profession say, did your father have heart conditions and did your mother have diabetes? And even they do, even though Christians are slow to believe this. But everything is in transfer, trans, transmitted. So what? So Matthew 12, 38 says, when the seed was sown, I'll get back to it. I'm sorry, I, I said it would be a bit, bit more deeper. The seed that God said in the end was the word of the Lord. The seed was the word. Now that, that word is, is the quickened rima. It's, it's the word of revelation. So when you go to that word and you say Matthew 13, 38, that's where he culminates it by saying that the, the word was the sons of the kingdom. It was sown and it was spoken. The word seed is in the Greek is sperma. All right? You all know what that is? <laughs> Boys. <laughs> sperma. That's where you get the word sperm. So isn't it interesting that God's sperm, is the seed, is the word of revelation. So the male, it's in the father. right? So in the sperm is the genes. Regeneration. Regene. So... You'll see in Genesis chapter 6, I have to go because I don't want to keep you too long. Genesis chapter 6, you know this. Remember when it says that the, the um, angels left their first estate. There were evil, wicked, angelic beings that went down and had sexual unions. This is all, it's in the Bible. Genesis 6. And had sexual unions with the woman, the human woman. So what happened there, I, I mean, it's incredible just to think about how an angelic being as a spiritual being, but it may, had the ability to be able to come and have sexual relations and take on some human form or whatever and have sexual relations. And there started the race of the Nephilim. That's where the giants came from. You know, the 13-foot Goliath. That was the last of them. They were in the land blocking it. So what happens was there was an insemination that came for these women to have offspring to demons. Ooh called the giants or the Nephilim. And, and what happened there was, immediately what happened was the whole prophecy in Genesis that God said to the woman and Satan and when he ate and fell, he said to the devil, in the woman is going to come and you'll be crushed. The promise he gave to the woman and the seed of the woman, oh, you know, is gonna, her womb is going to carry eventually God in the flesh, Christ. He will crush you. So if you were the devil, you only need a quarter of a brain to know this. The first thing that I'd think, my demise is coming through the humans. So he shoots down, gets these bad angels and communicates with them, gives them the ability to somehow um, transhumanize and they had sexual relations to contaminate the gene genetic code of the humans. So it warped it and contaminated and poisoned. That's what I'm talking about. So, so what happens was that it got in there and then it perverted the genetic, the gene pool, yeah. all right, the gene pool, which is going to make the thing ugly. So it produces, it is poisoned. So now the curse is passed on and you've got this giant race. Hence God says to them, don't you understand something? That everything that you get has been passed on. Yes. The kingdom of God is in transfer. Yes. 
So he, he forbade them. I'm in the Old Testament. I'll just quit. So he said, you are not to intermarry. Do not marry the Canaanite woman. Do not marry the men from the Philistines. Do not marry the, the Girgashites and that because you will contaminate your lives for the purity of what I want to do is to make sure that the genetic code is actually good to carry God in your life. You know what I mean? One day the, the gene of a human was going to be mixed with spiritual genes of God. So Paul is saying regenerating, regening. He's saying because there's so much contamination and so much poison in the gene pool that now most of us receiving at birth a, an impartation when the daddy's stuff comes. So daddy brings all of his baggage and issues and mummy's issues that are unresolved, you don't know half about, comes into you when, when you're, before you're even born. Yes. It's there. So those gene patterns, so the gene coding holds everything about your life, the characteristics, your ways, um, all your proclivities, your inclinations are in there, and what you're going to look like and everything. So it comes in there. And then now you've got to struggle, most of them getting that, and then it begins to triplicate itself because yes. genes replicate. So as it goes down the gene pool, it gets more um, contaminated. Yes. And it now starts to affect health, def deformity. Yeah. Mom's saying something. Yes. It starts to affect the minds and it, and it begins in different races. So you've got this flood right now coming into the genetic pool code. Um, genetic coding in the pool gene pool has now been contaminated to bits. Yes. So now God sees this and knows that to deal with the curse and to physically, genetically begin to, to be able to have an impartation, he, he begins to put the word in the apostles in a way that is able to regene. Wow. Regene. So those who follow them, their old ways that come from their mummies and daddies banked up is now cut off because of apostolic impartation. That's what he's saying when he says, I have begotten you. Begotten means I've birthed you. Angels can't be born. They are created. You and I are born into God. So he's saying, I'm rebirthing you. The book of Philemon is about Paul in prison. The little book of Philemon is about begetting. A slave runs away called Onesimus, who's run from his master. He meets Paul. What does Paul do? He starts speaking. In the next minute, it says there in verse 10, he's, he's begotten him. So he turned a slave into a brother of Jesus. I yeah. know. Yeah. And then he says in Onesimus, now he says to the, um, to the guy who's his master, I'm not sending you back to you a slave. I'm sending back a brother to Jesus and I'm, my own heart is in him. You treat him as if it was me there. My goodness. That's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. So how do you get somebody that's problematic, is full of genetic um, illnesses, psychological illnesses, you know, mixed up life, can't stop themselves from doing things, you get them to hook into an apostle's word. Yeah. I'm telling you something. Oh, my God. And that's why he says there, look, 1 Thessalonians, someone read it. Yeah, well, quickly, we're finished, we're done. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter, one verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from me, he said, you welcomed it, not as the word of a man, but as in truth, as it was, as if God was speaking it himself. That's pretty... That's Paul, the apostle. Now, the best part's coming. So he's saying, when you're listening to me, it's not Brian's word. No, yeah. It's actually God's word. So then he says here, and, and he says, the word of God, which also, listen to this word, effectively. Man, I'm excited about this. Yeah. Effectively works in you yeah. who believe. So that word, effectively. So he's saying that Paul is speaking a word like it's God speaking. So today, if you can so believe that God's speaking through this man, cut away all your 
difficulties in that and say, this word is touching me. But he says that word contains, this here word effectively is the word Greek and is energo or energio, which is the uh, original word for energy. So it's, it's, it's actually in, in the terms, it's a power station. So as you're hearing, there's something in it. See, this is what I love about this. That gets inside a person who's had psychological counselling for years, paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to mental hospitals, hundreds of thousands of dollars to try and shake off generational curses, you know, has gone through pain and misery and have repeated the same sexual sins, perversions, the same rot, the same anger, the same uptightness, the same greed. And then suddenly gets a session like this and something happens to them. Yeah. That doctors and surgeons and x-rays and pills. God bless those things. Amen. Well, God uses them through people. But this yeah. has something in it. And that, that word there is a spiritual energy yes. that's with the word that comes deep down and begins to readjust genes. Wow. And where it came from, he carries a way about him. And that begins to go into you. So you notice that since you met me, you got better in the sense of being stronger. You speak out more. You love God deeper than you did before. I guarantee before you met me, you've improved. Yes, it's Christ that does it. Now I'll help you with this. He says, imitate me. There's no other word. And people say, no, 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 that's not right. Well, I'll help you there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That helps you now, eh? Why couldn't you just believe the first thing? <laughs> All right? So, so there's, a, there's a sort of a small part of it. So the word is sperm. In Revelation, it carries, it carries DNA patterning. So all of those who join destiny, I'm sorry, there's going to be a, a, the God factor in your life but my job is to re-gene bad genes in you and to replace it with a gene that comes from the apostolic ministry. You're going to be more hungry for God. You'll have a tendency to speak the same, say the same, and walk the same. There's nothing wrong with that because the kids should be a reflection of their father. So there's a little bit there today. How's that? All right, let's give them all a hand. And give me a little kiss, wife. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Father, I pray today for everybody that hears. And those that hear, because one day what you hear and see in me, Paul said to Timothy, pass on. Then pass on to other men who in turn pass it on to others. So we're all transmitting and transferring something. But this comes from a, a rich vein and fabric of the anointing of the apostle first that begins to set the path forward for us to have a life that's stronger richer more considerate gracious loving having faith stronger i thank you lord for what you've given to us we don't take it for granted today we protect it i'm not apologizing for it neither am i ashamed of it i thank you that we could even be considered and been able to share so much of what you've put into us yes. with others yes. so they enjoy the benefits. So I pray, Lord, right now, you bless everybody that heard and may their day and their life continue to improve to a better place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.